Hello and welcome to Rogues in the House, Short Swords episode 4.5. Tonight we are going to be talking about Ill Met in Lankmar. As always, I got my two compadres here with me. Logan, how you doing? Uh, if you can hear me, I'm doing great, but uh, we've already had trouble with the internet, so we'll see. So far, so good. And Matt, how's Excellent. it going? Uh, I'm I'm doing well now that I hear Logan is crystal clear. I don't know what happened. The the gods of of Lankmar have shined upon us. It would seem, and Logan is now uh, clear as a bell. For the <laughs> moment, they can be very fickle, though. I can tell you that much. So yes. So we shall see. Um, so in this episode, we are discussing, as I said, Ilmet and Lankmar. We took this as a homework assignment for ourselves. Um, I've read this, and I've been kind of pushing everybody to get on board with uh, Fawford and the, and the Gray Mouser. So I think we're going we're gonna to kind of just dive into this, uh, talk about it. First thing I learned is that I've been pronouncing Fritz Leiber's last name incorrectly for pretty much my entire life. So Me too. Did you guys know this? I had no idea. Did you just say it correctly with Liber? It is Liber, not Lieber. And the last time I looked in the English language, the word die was spelled D-I-E. So I before E and all that. Yeah. So, you know. It, but when you when you listen, so the way I listened to this, I listened to this on Audible. And uh, I've read it, like I said, I read it in the past, but I figured this time I'd just listen to it on Audible. And the minute they said by Fritz Liber, I realized... I've, they're either they're wrong or I'm wrong, and I'm going to guess that I'm probably me this time. Blew well, your mind. And I'm sure someone uh, someone will chime in and, and and tell us the correct way to go about it. It's but, Chevitas. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> apparently that is not correct. I know. I saw that on the Facebook page right before this. Chevatis. So, so wait. Uh, so it was confirmed that Chevatis is now the the right way to do it. Well, the truth is, how how do you really know? But right. um, sure, well, Scott, I was there. Yes, yeah, Scott Odin uh, mentioned um, the the name during one of the posts. The post that Chris Lights had done about the last episode. Uh, he had he pronounced it the way I had been doing it, and I think on the episode I had said, you know, um, so it's Shevatas. Oh, that sounds so much better. And he's like, no, nah, it's a Shevatas. Hmm. Um, so I felt vindicated, and then Patrice Lunette uh, got tagged into it, and I think he said, I think he kind of mused that like we we wouldn't really know. Yeah. Um, but then he seemed to suggest that it sounded like Scott uh, and I had had been saying it, and Logan as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right then. Well, <laughs> I guess I lose. <laughs> we we cover the big issues on uh, rogues in the house. Yeah, yes, okay? we do. So it seems All as though questions. I pronounce everything. If if there's ever a uh, pronunciation question, let's just default to what you guys are saying. And it seems like <laughs> I've been like zero for three on this so far. <laughs> so hopefully I've been saying Fawford right as well, because that one, of course, is is tough. But I think that the I'm way, getting that one right. The way you uh, say it is so dainty. I feel like it has to be right. Fawford got to be what he was going for. Yes, <laughs> I, th I think I think you are right. On the the audio book I had listened to, uh, it seemed to say it that way. And there was in the story, there's a point where he, where they kind of mentioned that. I, I, yeah, you know, they don't really tell you exactly how to pronounce it. I don't think, but I think they might sort of um, intimate that it's it's not how you might think. Right. Right, so you listen to it as well on, um, well, you listen to it on something, right? Yeah, um, 
I will con- I will confess that I listened to it on YouTube. I, I kind of didn't have a choice. I didn't have a copy of the story in my possession. I've actually recently ordered uh, the first two volumes, and that is because actually I, I liked the story quite a lot. Uh, spoiler alert! But the the yeah, I listened to it on the audiobook, which it really sounded like James Earl Jones, uh, or or perhaps the best facsimile of James Earl Jones I've ever heard. Um, I, I really don't think that it is. I feel like that would have been emblazoned on the post that it had been read by James Earl Jones, but my God, it, it sounds quite a lot like So it. it wasn't read by James Earl Jones. I can confirm that because I went and listened to the YouTube. It's actually the audio, uh, the audible recording by who, whomever did that uh, yeah. and put through some sort of processor because it's the Ooh. exact same guy, just like a few octaves lower and like James Earl Jones eyes. So a James Earl Jones app must have something like that like if someone if someone kidnaps somebody and then they want to send the ransom tape <laughs> to the james earl jones app that's what you would do that's okay that's what if you, would you do. build it they will come and it's Is interesting that james earl jones? <laughs> yeah yeah okay. yeah that, okay. that's a uh, field of dreams yeah my, my field of dreams no I, it's been a while okay my dad got that on vhs at a mcdonald's when they used to do that wow Wow. Yeah. See, and there you were earlier today saying that Logan wouldn't know what a VHS was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. For the listeners, I, I posted, uh, I was going through, uh, I was at my parents' place, and I was going through some of my old stuff because they're like, you got to really get rid of this or we're trashing it. And I was like, no, my stuff. <laughs> uh, so I went through, I found a, a just a crummy old plastic. Stick recycling bag of um, VHS tapes. I don't know if you guys recycle in America. I- I'm just gonna go ahead. <laughs> it's hit and miss. I'm gonna be honest with you. <laughs> I'm just, just kidding. Um, but I found a-, a VHS copy, all super faded, of Death Stalker, um, the cheesy sword and sorcery film from the '80s, which I think is a Boris cover. I- I- I'm not sure if it's Boris Vallejo or not, but I mean, it sure looks like it. But what a rad cover! It is a cool cover. Uh, and I had posted, you know, Logan wouldn't know what this is because the joke is uh, he's the young guy. I'm a millennial. Yeah. So, uh, but he got it. Now he's he's bringing up uh, the VHS tapes he got from McDonald's. I don't even remember that. Yeah, like there was like three or four of them. Like if you bought a Big Mac meal or something, you could get one of these videos of your choice. And Dad and I drove from Milford, Nebraska to the county seat, which sounds really like countryfied. And we got Big Mac meals, and Dad got Field of Dreams, and we went home and watched it. So, so did they give out Death Stalker at McDonald's? They did not. <laughs> I feel like the other one was a Whoopi Goldberg movie, but I can't remember exactly what it was. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it was like, what was the one where she was a nun? It's probably that one. Sister Act. Sister Could have been Act. Sister Act. There you go. Yeah. Sister Act and then two. Back in the habit. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Clever. Clever. Well done. Well done. Yeah. You never know what you're going to get on this show. Uh, So, Logan, and you read, right? I did both, actually, because I could not pass up listening to James Earl Jones read this story. Um, So when Matt said something in our our Facebook chat, I was like, really? So I listened to parts one, two, and three on the, the YouTube version, and I noticed that same channel has a bunch of Liber stories, um, Fafford and Grey Mouser stories um, that they've clearly 
finagled onto YouTube. So there's that to look forward to. Um, and then I read parts four and five on the Kindle app. Yeah, and just just a dis well a little disclaimer. I was reluctant to even mention that I'd listened to it on YouTube. I mean, it's not it's not an illegal thing to listen to something on YouTube. It's just I, I would encourage people to support your artists, and of course, uh, especially with something like a niche genre like this, Correct. where it's not you know it's not like um, it's not making Disney bucks. Uh, so I, I felt that I should I felt compelled to actually buy. Um, to, to throw my money in the pot, as it were. Exactly, exactly. Not not making Disney bucks yet, but after this show, <laughs> I'm sure yeah. it'll be so popular. Huge track. We're going to buy right into that. So I got to tell you, though, on the the um, I, I did listen to the YouTube version of the Audible recording. On the Audible recording, I didn't entirely love it. Like I thought the guy narrated just fine, and mm. he did uh, Gray Mouser very well as well. It, it sort of had this, like, uh, you know, tough uh, accented accented voice sort of like a uh, I don't even know if I could do it right now uh, but do it. but Fawford sounds like you would knock on his door to borrow a lawnmower and like I mean it's just like I don't even know what that means it, it mean, he sounded something like this it was sort of like a gee whiz gray mouser <laughs> oh like, okay not <laughs> See, James Earl Jones version I thought that I still thought it was good but I felt that Grey Mouser sounded kind of like almost pompous. Yes. And then Fawford was kind of flat and maybe dry, which I, I pictured as being okay. The so Grey Mouser has kind of a little, uh, a little accent like this yeah. or something like that, yeah. right? He's going to talk to Fawford and be like, we're going to go to the Thieves Guild. I'm so I'm glad you're doing get this. a couple of jugs of wine. Oh. When I get the jugs of wine. Ron Perlman. And then and then Fawford's like, gee whiz, Mouser, that sounds like a swell idea. <laughs> so that's what lawnmower men sound like. That's uh, what they no, sound in the Boston area, I that's, swear. That's if, you listen to the, if you listen to the faux James Earl Jones version on YouTube, uh, which I'm not officially endorsing, you will hear that Fawford sounds sort of like Ron Perlman, which for yeah. me was awesome. Like my whole experience with this tale will be colored by my experience with the audiobook. Like I, I listened to it, and specifically the YouTube faux James Earl Jones audiobook. I listened to this while I was painting uh, some Conan miniatures. Uh, you know, appropriately enough, I suppose. And like I was, I was really, I was really into it, and I quite liked the voices. And I think when you consider from what I've like, Liber's uh, aim was to create these sword and sorcery heroes, but really humanize them. And for me, the voices on on that particular recording sounded great, and it it, it really drew me in. Yeah. Now I'm I'm just gonna throw this out here, and I know they're supposed to be young in this story, but fan casting here, Fawford, Ron Perlman, and I think Jason Statham might be might be Gray Mouser. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Statham's kind of jacked, though. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I guess, he's small, yeah. he's slight. Um, so yeah, he's kung fu-y. You'd have to. You'd, oh, here comes the monk comment. <laughs> I think I got him to spit out his beer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, that was great. That just devolved into nothing. <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind uh, the Jason Statham casting. 
I, I understand, but you know, you're going to go Hollywood. You're going to go larger than life anyway. So, yeah. You know, yeah. I think I'll just throw this out there really, really quick as an aside. Um, if for anyone who's read the first law trilogy um, by Joe Abercrombie, I, I had, for some reason it came to me, I was thinking about dream casting. I was thinking of Logan nine fingers and I know he's more of a hulking kind of dude, but if you shot it in a particular way, put a nice big, uh, like a, uh, a terrible, not a terrible, a nice, hmm, put a wig on Jason Statham. I feel like he could be Logan nine fingers. I think he's got the, he would have the right brooding aspect to do it okay. with a bit of, okay. with a bit of the same sense of humor. I still uh, want to see know. that giant shark movie with him in it. I actually have one of the books, and I loved it because it's a giant shark book. Um, I will so. watch that movie. For I, sure. Yeah, I want to yeah. see you try to get a wig on him. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of wig is it? I don't know. The one where I stumbled for uh, 30 seconds trying to figure out what kind of wig. It's a nice, one. It's a nice yeah. wig. It's a nice big it's one. A nice big wig for Jason Statham. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, back to the story. Yes. So, all right. So, let's talk about uh, some some themes in in this, and I think probably one of the big ones for me is kind of what we've already were talking about. We we're sort of casting this already. This is a buddy, a buddy story. It's a buddy yeah. movie, yeah. and uh, you know, just diving very loosely into the plot, it's essentially um, the two of them meet by chance kind of uh, pull off uh, a heist um, that they sort of cooperate together with uh, as it happens, um, become fast friends, go drinking, brag a lot, decide to act on their brags, and then a lot of other things happen and um, they deal with the fallout. But that is essentially a sword and sorcery buddy movie that needs to be written, needs to be done. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. I, it's actually staggering that this has never been adapted into a live action because it's just sitting there waiting for it. And, and it it doesn't feel antiquated. Like, I think this story was written in the 60s. And I mean, I don't know, something it some of the language, of course, is not it's not the kind of thing you're going to pick up in a modern fantasy text. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with the language. Quite to the contrary, I thought it was it read beautifully well i listened to it but I, I it felt fresh and pretty much for every reason you just listed alex i mean i i, I love that about it the, the becoming fast friends it all felt very believable to me it's yeah, relatable for anybody who's ever gone out drinking it's relatable <laughs> yeah yes. that, that's true it felt it, it absolutely felt felt like a night of drinking and then they're coming oh you meet my missus and i'll meet your missus and uh more decision making and yeah and and the idea of like they had to on a couple occasions re-up their wine you know because they were they were yep. drinking the wine so quickly and things are done on a whim and i feel like that is just such the that's the distillation of all that is sword and sorcery in the midst of this fantasy tale you're in a, a um, an, an urban, like, uh, sort of dark metropolis, but you're getting drunk, you're having a good time, and you're going to attempt the most dangerous thing imaginable on a whim because you're drunk and your girlfriend has been, uh, you know... Burned by yeah, some other bad guys. Right. Exactly. That's it. That's the whole yeah, thing, Yeah, that's the whole it? thing. That's the whole plot. Um, I guess, so for me, I, I enjoyed it. I did. I didn't enjoy it as much as I wanted to. Um, 
I, I really wanted to. On the language note, I, I, I've also tried to enjoy Clark Ashton Smith. I like a lot of his themes, a lot of his settings. Um, I like the idea of his weirdness. But I feel like sometimes in the writing, the language tries to be clever for clever's sake. And it's hard for me to follow, I think. And that kind of drew me out of the story, especially when I was reading it on, on the app, um, personally. But I didn't, I didn't by no means hate it. But I did enjoy the, the buddy theme. Uh, it reminded me of, like, Lethal Weapon. Like, yeah, right. Yeah, I agree, uh, obviously, with the lethal weapon comment. But uh, I was reading uh, Bizarre of the Bazaar, because that was actually a story that I had a copy of, and somehow I crossed my wires and thought that's the story we were supposed to read, so I had started reading that. And and I, I know what you're saying, Logan. Like, it's more... It's not as much of a relaxing read. Um, yeah, it's... it's you got to focus on it, yeah. and, like, it's, it's a study, almost. Yeah, there's longer, complex sentences... It doesn't flow. It, like, it almost begs to be read out loud. And sometimes yeah. when you're reading in your head, you get a little lazy with um, stringing the sentences together. And, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. And I think having read, like I've been reading a lot of more modern fantasy, and um, a lot of that heft is kind of trimmed out of there. Um, and of course, you're also struggling with pronouncing, you know, made up words and names. That said, I really did enjoy uh, reading that story but it did take more doing um, yeah, and so, yeah so having having listened to it it was a lot more relaxing like i'm literally painting brush strokes and just i can i'm almost nodding my head like yeah oh i'm <laughs> glad that happened that's what i wanted to happen cool <laughs> on the language note and and i guess sort of the uh the tone how do you feel that it compares to howard which i think is you know it's always a very grim serious tone uh it it pushes through it's very uh i want to say it's very action-packed but even like the words just carry a lot of punch to it uh and this has just a different tone it seems a little bit lighter a lot of the time um it's it's very conversational yeah 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 and and that's Um, what i'm saying like like the howard stuff doesn't feel modern at all It, it absolutely feels i don't want to use the word antiquated as it feels negative but like Howard feels like more of a, um, it feels more m- almost mythological or like an old dusty text. Whereas uh, yeah. for me, the Liber stuff feels it does, as you say, Alex, more more conversational, and and, and I re- I really do believe that it. I feel like it's right there for the adaptation, like the dialogue in that angle. Like I, I don't think it would take much uh, modernizing to. To adapt it, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I I agree. I would I would love to see it, and then you so, know again sticking with the the Howard and and uh, Liber uh, comparisons, you know the the most obvious one right is there's two barbarians here that we're that yeah. we're we're dealing with. Give me your your similarities and differences. So I I like how Fawford, um, I guess I wouldn't call him. Uh, an archetypal barbarian. Uh, mm. As far as I'm recalling, and correct me if I'm wrong, not once did he go into like a berserk rage, like we see in like the every mechanic for RPG barbarian ever. He's also kind of what he's like a poet and a singer. He's which, a scald. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun. It's a different background, and he he acts differently than what you would 
if you just pictured a barbarian and that classic shirtless dude popped into your head, that's not what he is. Right. And I no. like that. I, I, I feel like it's a deliberate yes. uh, turning that trope on its head. Like the fact that he makes him, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a very capable warrior, big and strong, but he is a beautiful singer. Like, yeah. Yeah, rock that Catalina wine mixer. You know what I mean. <laughs> and and um, what and what about what about them going into the thieves' guild as uh, the beggars, right? But tying up his leg so that he has to limp around with the yeah. with the crutch and and the Mouser uh, essentially blindfolding himself as well. So yeah, it's like a boneheaded plan on top of that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and they were like we can't we can't both go in blind because then that will be too obvious like yeah. two blind guys aren't going to go together. The sort of details that just really made it feel grounded or um believable to me. That, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. and I mean again you can just see how how much and maybe we'll touch on this later but this is so Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. It's very Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Like the whole old check, create your plan going in. Like the whole thing felt absolutely like a D and D session. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, essentially, without having met in a tavern, they yeah. more or less meet in the functions of a tavern. You know, yeah, they're, you they're drinking as well, have, right? right? Uh, and then yeah. they come up with this harebrained idea. Really, I mean, it's really stupid. They, yeah. they, they. <laughs> <laughs> they show that they're they're fallible. They're extremely fallible, and this is something that, in my opinion, permeates throughout the entire series. Having having read just about all of it, they they constantly are are having to dig themselves out of the the problems that they create. I feel, yeah. Um, and a lot of the times, this problem these problems are because they're falling for the wrong women. A lot of the time that cause problems, which is also very relatable. Yep, which is very relatable. Uh, and, and again, in comparison to a Howard story, I never like you, you. Always kind of feel like Conan's got it under control. Like he might take a beating, but his decisions are always going to be very sound. Uh, you always know that he's going to be making that right move where with these guys, I don't always get the sense that they're making the best choice that they could have made. Kind of going by the seat of their pants. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they just happen to have lucky dice rolls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Until they don't. Until, Until they, they don't. don't. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And the DM punishes them at the end of the story. <laughs> yeah. It's not like they're always, you know, it's not, I, so I used to really like Clive Cussler, and then I was like listening to some of his newer stuff on an audible tr uh, during a road trip, and it's like these heroes get out of every scrape with coincidence after coincidence after coincidence. It's not like that. Like they do have it. It makes sense in the way they get out of things or don't get out of things, um, which I think is a, a problem. A lot of stories that I've read, like it's well, not ever something the heroes do it's something that intervenes and that doesn't really make for good action or drama but that's not the case here well if you if you have a, a series where your main characters are are the focus and the driving point of the series they have plot armor but the real trick of the author is to not make you see that plot armor right and to believe that right. they're truly in danger mm -hmm. whereas it sounds like old clive cussler maybe didn't do that for you no, no, he did not. It's very um, clear. 
But that's that's actually the another point that I that I think was really successful about this story is the fact that it's all very sort of light-hearted, somewhat. It's funny, but then it takes this terribly dark turn until it's not. Yeah. Should we should we say spoilers here in case anyone's interested in not having things spoiled for them? Sure, that sure. works. So, so there's some spoilers that are going to come up. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you're listening to the episode. We're talking about Ilmet and Lankmar. Yeah. Um, so the the their their significant others are killed, and not only killed, but like partially consumed. Yeah, they're the like rat. eaten by a rat monster. Yeah. So that's that's heavy. Yep. Yeah. And and then if uh, you said that doesn't go into that blind rage, but there's essentially that moment where they they sort of join spirits and yeah, yeah, yeah. both like without a word know that it's time for some blind vengeance uh and they they bust back in and they they take care of the essentially the sorcerer that uh, is hired by uh crovas the the thieves guild master that's right in, in in that that part in particular where they both realize wow these our our loved ones are dead at the same time and then now we suddenly have this um common enemy yeah but also we have there's the, i think they sort of established that there's this bond right at that oh, moment yeah, yeah, the, narrator, yeah. the narrator does that is something that could have just been garbage yeah. and it could have been cheesy and it could have easily fallen flat or you've just been like you know laughable right but i felt it really worked right uh which yeah, I think yeah. is a, a, a testament to to the um to the writer and, and i will say i've read other i read a couple one or two other library stories before I'd read this. I think one was a really early, it might be the first one. Uh, Thieves, isn't it Thieves Gambit? Yeah, I can't remember. It's where, like, Mouser is, uh, he's a wizard's apprentice, a sorcerer's oh, apprentice. Oh, no, that's the Unholy Grail. I read that one, too. Is that what it is? Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, I, I read it, and I was like, okay, cool, but it did not it did not strike me. But having read this, I mean, I feel like it, really opened things up and I, I pretty much right away went and ordered uh, more of the stories because like, well, this I really like. Why the hell haven't I read this yet? Sure. So, interestingly enough, those early stories, there's two stories. It's what the it's like the Ice Women or the Winter Women or something like that. Yeah. And there's the Unholy Grail and they are like the origin stories of Fawford and the Grey Mouser. And they were written really late in, in Liber's career. As it, or as writing this series, because publishers wanted to take the stories that were like parsed out individually and present them as a novel, and they wanted to pre like a like a prelude mm. before they met. So um, the Fawford one, I think, is it, it's not good. Uh, I um, would I would agree. I mean, I think I've mentioned this before too on, on the show. Yeah, I think that you start with Ilmet and Lankmar. You could always go back and read the, those prequels a little bit, and if you want to call them prequels. I think the next book, the entire book, Swords Against Death, is really good, and Swords in the Mist is really good. Um, if I remember, again, I've, it's been a while since I've gone through them all, Swords Against Wizardry is the next one, and that's also really good. Uh, mm. And then by the fifth, and certainly the sixth and seventh, I think they start to tail off a little bit, um, in my opinion. Uh, but you, you're going to have four three or four solid volumes of, of really really cool stories and 
uh, kind of just some some silly antics, including um, some some novelette sized size stories there too. Yeah, um, well, I did like the gray mousers background story. Um, it's kind of interesting that he started out as a wizard or wizard's apprentice as opposed to what you would imagine like being a thief or a bandit or whatever. Um, I guess he forsakes that side of him later, um, according to Alex, um, which I haven't read that many. Uh, but it was an interesting beginning, and I honestly, I feel like maybe the world they inhabit is a little bit more high fantasy in the way like the Witcher world would be a little more high fantasy. We just yeah. see it from a sword and sorcery perspective. Yeah, that so makes I, I agree. I mean, it's definitely on the fantastic. The, the, you will start to see they, there are um, at, at least one non-human race that is in existence there um, that mm. has like actual real characters that you kind of deal with. Um, they have their... Don't they think, like miss, missions from like two rival like... I, I was just going to say. mages or something? Yeah, so, yeah. so uh, Ningobble and Shilba yeah. will be the, uh, the two uh, wizardly patrons that each get and oftentimes they're conflicting instructions for the two of them uh, yeah. as they're as they're kind of walking the same path they're they're uh, trying to do they're they're trying to meet separate goals and th those I love that idea those guys are a trip they're kind of funny. sorry like i think th i love that idea as quest givers i think they're like like that's clearly what they are yeah to it's, me. The, the, I, it, I like them as that role i think that's cool they are in a very uh, sort of mystique kind of way it's not as yeah they, they definitely aren't quick uh, clicking on the yellow question mark <laughs> no you didn't meet him at the tavern or anything no. but like i get the impression that like yeah they're like pulling some kind of strings or something and but stories. It's, it's rich and it's fun and I, I think there's there's a lot there uh for people for people to enjoy and i and i think that when it comes down to it um you look at someone uh, the character of gray mouser and i think that that is uh sort of your archetypal rogue right there oh, and i think that that's 100% gets what that's what you wind up seeing in your rpgs and, and a lot of like when you close your eyes and you think of that like hooded rogue you know in a cowl or something like that uh filching a pocket or picking a lock that's uh, that's kind of who you're actually seeing yeah here's 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 a question i mean this is uh me showing my own ignorance but i'm 36 and i don't care um what what where's where are the origins of a thieves guild? I was just going to ask that. I'm a huge fan of Elder Scrolls series and the Thieves Guild is a prominent faction, but the yeah. idea of a thieves guild shows up in so many fantasy things. I well, was wondering if this was like the first. Well, that's what I'm wondering too. Like it's always been a part of D&D, mm. &D, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering if there's a historical uh piece here that I'm missing and it's one of those things I wish I had done for research. Um, Don't worry, I'm a millennial. I'm on my phone. I got it. <laughs> uh, I'll live tweet my way out of this. I'm a millennial. <laughs> okay, continue uh, on. I'm technically a millennial too, I think. That's true. But I'm like that cool age of millennial where it's There's like... There's no such thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not according to some talkback sections. Names, I'm sure. So according to Wikipedia, very quickly... Uh, yeah, and I haven't kind of dug through this all together. The one of the prominent examples of the thieves guild. It's it's called a concept in in uh, fantasy fiction. Okay. Uh, and one of the prominent examples is Fawford and Grey Mouser stories. 
Well, that's yep. what I was going to say. So I don't know if it was, you know, I'd have to now, read through the article to say if it was originated there, which I'm sure it really didn't, because you got to think that that's, because it also has to be some level of historical precedence for that somewhere. It does say yeah. that in 1001 Nights, there are a couple stories that have uh, criminal, like, thieves' brotherhoods. They're not called thieves' guilds. But in, as far as literary terms, it appears the concept shows up in 1001 Nights. Right, and, and you're going to see this in any sort of uh, major city or gathering area where crime is doing its thing. I mean, even the mob is a form of a thieves' guild, right? Right, it does say that organized crime is also an inspiration. Yeah, interesting. Um, but, I mean, the fact is that as far as the way Dungeons & Dragons presents it uh, and the way we've seen it in all other fantasy, uh, you know, if there's perhaps there's another prominent fantasy title I am missing, but this feels sort of like the genesis of of all of that yeah it's certainly i mean yeah you know it's certainly around it um and yeah. you know i i'm one who believes that you know sword and sorcery itself is, uh, is you know pulls together uh, many different fathers if you will yeah uh, so i think this is is one of these moments where you know maybe maybe this is uh, the fatherhood of that concept as well well and when i was doing a little research on this today wikipedia told me that the first so this story was made by uh, Liber and his buddy, whose name eludes me right now. Otto, 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 yes. Otto Fisher. Yeah, okay. So they, um, they sort of created this together, and I think it was Otto Fisher's characters. And then Liber ended up writing most of the stories. But it sounded as though the first one was actually written way back in like 36 or 37. Oh, wow. Which, which I... That felt like it wasn't correct to me because I did not think of him as a contemporary with like Howard, which Howard yeah, was like. Yeah, he would have been like a little kid, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure um, that's right, but maybe someone on the interwebs can can school us. But for it the says record, it was, it was, first it was published not, in 1970. Right, it was not published. Uh, none of the none yeah. of these stories were published until the 60s. I don't think. Hmm. We're going to have to do some notes it's on this conceivable. to make sure I mean, we're it, it is conceivable. Was, I'm looking now, and he was born in 1910. So yeah. even if he yeah. wrote it in the 30s, that would be at, That's the, true. at the age of 20-something. Yeah. So. I, I, I knew that the volume of these stories were sort of... Uh, they were being churned out in the 60s. That's what was in my brain when I was reading them. Uh, and then when I saw the 30s, that uh, I was like, holy cow. Okay, um, so this is interesting. Um, I think uh, so. It first was first published in 1970 in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. It is a prequel, as Lieb or Liber, sorry, had been the, at the time chronicling the pair's adventures for 30 years. Right. So Lankmar was the, the, it being a prequel. Um, yeah. Was obviously written later than many other tales, which I was going to mention is actually also sort of surprising because this story is so good. At, at being a launching pad that it blows my mind that it was written after the fact. Sure. Yep. Right? Yeah. So you say 30, 30 years into it, Logan? Is that yeah, so 30 years into it, he wrote Ill Met. It was also awarded the Nebula Award for Best Novella in 1970 and the Hugo Award for Best yeah. Novella in 1971. But yeah, it appears as he had been doing Fofford and Grey Mouser for three decades before writing this story. Yeah. Which also should be noted, the, 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 the collections that they have available, I believe they're put in a chronological order from, like, 
ill-met to the end and not the order they're written in. And I know some people, when they read collections or whatever, are interested in the order they were written in as opposed to the made-up chronological order. So. Right, right. Right, like the, the Howard Del Rey's were uh, right. presented in published order, which I think is sort of, in that way, is sort of a, a dismissal of what DeCamp did, right, with trying to make right. it the Chronicles, and they kind of wanted to get more of a pure vibe. Right. But it's not right. as though, I mean, if, if Liber went ahead and decided to write the prequel, you know, so many years later, it almost invites itself to be sure. yeah. right? Yeah. He's going to do a prequel. He, he's <laughs> also listed as a chess expert. Oh. Yep. So this guy, this guy had it all. Nerd. <laughs> he's a chess expert. <laughs> so this is funny. This is terrible because I know I'm a, I'm a huge nerd and I'm not, I'm very vocal about it. Um, but the math teacher next to me, she's doing Harry Potter Club and Harry Potter Club or like Harry Potter's not really my thing, but I understand why people like it. But I was leaving last Thursday during Harry Potter Club, and I just heard all the kids having fun. They were, like, making wands or something. And I stick my head in, and I was like, kids, do you smell that? And they're like, what, Mr. Whitney? What do you smell? Nerds. <laughs> and they all, they all laughed. It was funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. I thought you were going to say they were playing Wizards Chess. I thought that was the connection, but it was the nerd no, connection. No, no. But it, that's what reminded me of Harry Potter. Yeah. So um, another, another interesting thought that I had... Uh, through through this um, through you know rereading this is you know so many so much of sword and sorcery that I've read is centralized on the main character and I guess this kind of goes back to the buddy thing a little bit but it's very I think it's unique and um, and interesting that it's a pair you know yeah. and and you really have in every story you're going to have these two guys whereas you know a Conan story uh, you're going to have Conan and, and supporting cast around him. Um, so you really get a interesting dynamic, especially as you go through this story in itself, but as you go through all of the stories of that relationship, um, there are it's, it's very funny because there are some, there are some stories where they're mad at each other. <laughs> they just oh, that's like, fun. <laughs> they're just pissed the whole time. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. They sound like uh, what Jay and Silent Bob would call uh, hetero life mates. Yeah. <laughs> That's that totally right? it. It's totally it. <laughs> and I mean, that's, I mean, but, but, but why, like, as far as, uh, you know, this is the story where they meet and then both of their, their, their uh, significant others die and then they then just have this unbreakable bond, right? So, in, in a way, that is their new partnership. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, are there any other stories or authors that have dynamic duos like these two? I can't think of any off the top of my head. Like Sword and Sorcery. No, uh, the, the, actually, I, again, to bring up Joe Abercrombie again, he, his last publication was a collection of shorts called Sharp Ends. And he presented yeah, yeah. two female characters uh, named Chev and uh, I can't remember the other, but I read somewhere that that was his... Um, his sort of uh, take on on that dynamic, oh, um, and it's right. it's it's clearly having. I actually read this tale after the Abercrombie tale, um, but it's it seems clearly influenced by this uh, this dynamic. So that's that's the only one I can, okay. I can think of. Yeah, because like the, the this idea of two like swordsmen or whatever. 
you know, doing their adventures together is, I, I feel like it's fairly iconic, but I don't think a lot of people could point to Fawford and the Grey Mouser as, like, the progenitor of that idea, I, mm, I guess. Perhaps not. It, but honestly, I don't, uh, I mean, I'm a very novice writer, but I, I think it'd be, it would be quite difficult to have a story that really balances the two POVs. I mean, it's not. It's it's a it's an omniscient narrator, but right. That's still a tough balancing act, um, and, and the interplay has to be there the whole time, and it has to be believable. Like that would be challenging. Yeah, and yeah. It, and yeah. it's not in the genre. It it perhaps it's stands um, nearly alone in that in the regard mm-hmm. of having two. But I mean, things like Three Musketeers. I mean, you have yeah, multiple, that's true. You have that's multiple true. characters. Um, so I think I don't I don't think it's fully unique in that regard. Um, Solid, but yeah, yeah. That's but cer- but certainly within um, within the genre, I, I don't I can't really nothing comes to mind. Nothing of the big titles because it's always like Elric, Conan, Fafer, Grey Mouser, right? Uh, Amaro, you know, and you're 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 really dealing with one very very prominent uh, character. I mean, so, we have our we have our classic Kings of the Night where Cull jumps forward in time and. Uh, yeah, Brand Brand McMorn. McMorn. Uh, doesn't Elric have a sidekick too? Doesn't he? Moonglum. Yeah, he's got Moonglum. Yeah. So there's there's a, there's a touch of that for sure, but it's still still it still always feels like Elric. And I and I would right. also yeah, argue right. a difference between a sidekick and a that, that's and an true because here they're equals. There is no sidekick. That is correct. correct. This yeah. is not a Batman and Robin sort of thing. This is a I don't have an equivalent. <laughs> a Batman and Batman. <laughs> This is a Danny Glover Mel Gibson. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> Although so, even there, that feels more like it feels more like Mel Gibson. That's Gibson's Mel Gibson's story, story with Danny Glover. Is the yeah, yeah. Um, this is just kind of a fun little Easter egg for those of you who are also Elder Scrolls fans. Um, in Skyrim, if you go into the Ratway, which is where the Thieves Guild um, inhabits, uh, there are two NPCs that you actually end up killing. One is called Draft. And one is called Hunan Black Skeever. Draft is a anagram of Fawford, and Black Skeever is a play on Grey Mouser. So the nice. makers of uh, the Elder Scrolls series are familiar with these two. Nice, that's funny. Yeah, you, you can tell uh, there's a lot of love in uh, this, especially even Skyrim for sword and sorcery. Like, oh yeah. Like, the Frazetta influence on that game is is very clear. There's an interview where it shows a bunch of books that they were looking at, and there's a book of Frank Frazetta art in like yeah. prominent in that stack of books. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you'll always get a you always get a high five from me if you're uh, waving the Frazetta flag. <laughs> so Alex, what are we missing from our? Uh, we have we have a bit of an outline. Did we did we miss anything? We did. Um, I think we kind of. Hit every, just, we touched upon everything. Um, I, the last point really uh, is their influence. I think we've we've gone through this a little bit. Um, yeah, you know, but just kind of kind of wrap it up with this. So I, I think really when you when you look at Mouser, uh, he is that archetypal rogue. I think he's what's what kind of translates through a lot of uh, role playing. Um, mm. And when we say archetypal, I generally mean role playing anyway. Uh, yeah, and, and sort of you know in in games um, when you think of that, uh, Fawford though he he's kind of lost in the wind a little bit, which is, when it comes to that archetype, yeah, he, he sort of he sort of bucks the trend. 
I agree. And and personally, I mean, I love that. As I said earlier, I think he's very much a deliberate uh, spin on the the barbarian character because they 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 call him that. And again, I've, I'm not well read enough uh, with these stories to say otherwise. But he does not feel like a barbarian. He feels like like a barbarian by name. Um, right. This yeah. isn't this isn't Robert E. Howard's ruminations on civilization versus barbarism. This is no. just a guy who. It, it almost feels like he took up the challenge to say, I'm going to take a barbarian character and you know, make him funny and a singer and yeah. know, friends with this little guy. And, and the origin story, again, not a fan, but it does talk about how the character, um, he doesn't fit in, in with the rest of his tribe, which is why he leaves and ends up in Longmar. But right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the last thing I think we, we did have a little bit of feedback when we, when we sort of brought up the topic. I was wondering if one of you guys might want to um, read, read what we have there. Sure. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say sorry first. I'm going to say this is Dean Geiken. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Which we have another connection with. Um, but Dean Geiken says, um, I love the Fawford and Grey Mouser stories and agree they do not get the love and consideration deserved of being part of the sword and sorcery genre. But at the same time, they exist, to the best of my memory, in a sort of culture and world that is more technologically advanced than that of Conan. Certainly not high fantasy like Tolkien, but more advanced than that of Conan. And Liber's writing is a bit harder to read than Howard's, in my opinion. Not deep reading, but I know thicker to get through. Does that make sense? Which is exactly what we talked about earlier. Right. So, and then Joe Arenas uh, says, I still remember finding Swords Against Deviltree in a gas station on the way to Florida with my family when I was maybe 12 or 13. I thought it looked cool and I liked the title. I was hooked after that. That's a good find in a gas station. That's kind of like getting a VHS yeah. in a McDonald's. Yeah, <laughs> exactly like that. <laughs> Deathstalker VHS. <laughs> I I remember when I was at when I was at Gen Con last year. I was talking to Howard Andrew Jones, and I believe he said that the second volume, Swords Against Death, was like up there as far as his what he would call quintessential uh, collection of of sword and sorcery tales. Um, Howard Andrew Jones uh, wrote two novels and a bunch of short stories yeah. um, about two medieval Islamic dudes, and it's Dabir and Asim, and they're totally a dynamic duo. I don't think one's a sidekick over the other. Mm. I can't yeah, recommend totally. those stories enough. They're so good. Yes, I finished uh, Desert of Souls a couple of months ago, and it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, you're right. That's kind of a pretty big oversight, considering you and I both read that and talked about that when we were talking about yeah. duo characters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Shout out to those to those two characters in in that fiction. Yeah, yeah. But but his characters are not a clone of the other. No. The dynamic They're is like not the same. A royal guard and a royal investigator. Yeah, yeah. Come together by uh, really just their. Roles, their their paths just yeah. kind of crossed. It's not the same. Oh, here we are, drunk in this crazy city. Let's go do something wild. It's definitely more. Um, it's definitely more like courtly and and in a uh, you know in that yeah. kind of in that kind of setting. Not it's not on the gritty, gross streets. 
I feel like it's almost very comparable to uh, the old Sinbad movies. It's very colorful. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily PG, but it's not. I wouldn't say super dark. Like there's monsters and there's violence. Yeah. But both the characters are. I also want to say proper. Yeah. They're both devout in their faith, and it shows in the characters, which I think is excellent research. Like it feels like they are who they are, and that's great. Um, it's very, very different characters, yeah. but still a pair of swashbuckling rogues, I would say. And it's interesting too, because I would never find myself looking for characters like that. That almost I feels loved like... that they were different. Yeah, well, it yeah. almost feels like like I will never play a paladin in D anD. d If I do, he'll be evil. Because uh, <laughs> to me, sure. that <laughs> it feels kind of like an evil character. Uh, if you are so staunchly. Uh, supporting a, per, a particular thing blindly and unabashedly and without... Uh, I would agree in real life where yeah. it doesn't exist. So, like, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily be attracted to it, but the way he, he presents those characters um, is not boring. It's actually interesting and endearing. And as you say, PG for sure. Like I would hand that book to my, my grade 7 and 8 yeah. and class and not even think twice. And the idea of friendship, much like Fawford and Grey Mouser, is throughout all of the stories and all of the books. Like, their relationship is believable mm. and endearing. And I think that's also a testament to his writing. Which, high five to friendship. It doesn't yeah. always get the highlight, you know? Yeah. Always, you know, we're always too hung up on, like, oh, the lone wolf character. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, whatever. Friends, buds, right? You know? Yeah. It's well, you know, it's it's like. funny because it's. Um, I'll tie it back to role playing. First of all, I want to I want to have that paladin discussion at some point too because I think that yeah. that's, I think that's a worthy discussion. Maybe maybe not necessarily for the podcast, but we got to get into that. But what you're saying about the lone wolf character, it, it works great in stories. But it does. In, in terms of role playing, that's your uh, murder hobo. Right. Yeah. That's what you're always told. Suck. Don't do that. You have to have some sort of tie to the world. You have to have a reason. Like you have to have parents or a yeah. relationship with somebody. You can't just be a Conan that really has no like. He's just this drifter that goes around and you know kills anything. Yeah. It's it's we are a party of lone wolves. Yeah. Roll for treasure. Exactly. <laughs> but you don't even need a staff. You're not a wizard. I want it. I'll sell it. <laughs> you know. You know what I'm talking yep. about. Yep. Oh yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Or you, or you approach the NPC, and your only means of conversation with him is running a sword through his stomach, and then taking the loot that's on him. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. well, this short sword has really become a long sword. That's okay. It's good. This it's, is fun. It's good, and I'm glad that I'm really glad that I that you guys enjoyed um, a little bit of of Liber, uh, and I hope that we can talk more. Um, as we go, uh, that that's one thing that we're definitely aiming to do is we know that we're we are Conan heavy, and while I think that that is probably eighty percent of our listenership anyway, uh, we're going to keep branching out and we're going to um, put our our tendrils out there to new and different things, and we're going to try to get new and different voices on all the time. And yeah. In fact, uh, with episode five i think we may have uh another guest lined up i don't know that we're ready completely to reveal that yet um but it's a a new and different voice uh and someone who i think is gonna be really fun and really cool to talk with and probably yeah. somebody quite familiar to um gamers uh on the internet or in the social media world will probably know who this is yeah absolutely so closing thoughts on 
on the story or on the characters or on any of this? I will say that <laughs> it sounds weird, but my favorite my favorite aspect of this whole story was, as you kind of alluded to earlier, Alex, is that this is like a it reminds me of my mid early to mid twenties when I would go out into my own uh, my own greasy metropolis city and I would imbibe and it would be late at night walking the streets with a good buddy of mine and we would get a stupid idea and we would do it and then you'd make uh, funny memories for the rest of your life. Um, it has that, that friendship, yes. companionship component all while being um, <laughs> gleefully inebriated. Now, now fortunately, um, my tales didn't take such a dark turn uh, as, as theirs does at the end, but uh, again, I will give a shout out to just how how deftly I think that the that Liber wrote that scene and made that transition. Yeah, and, so and that, that's that, that's my big takeaway. I love that because they they're probably in their twenties, right, yeah. right around there, or that's where I picture yep. them to be in the story, uh, early twenties, maybe even late teens, depending. And and yeah, like I just think back to my own twenties escapades. And yeah. it's hilarious, and I know the friends that I have those stupid stories with, uh, and most of those cannot be relayed on uh, <laughs> on a podcast. Um, no, <laughs> but <laughs> I won't get in any more specific. Yeah, <laughs> but but I mean, it's like it's just so relatable, and that's one of the reasons why I just I fell in love with it. And and for me, I read these book one, book two. So, you know, after getting through the, the slog that was, and I remember that slog very well. I remember exactly mm -hmm. where I was trying to read that uh, of the intros and then getting to that, the, the Ilmet and Lankmar part, I was just, I was like, all right, this is where the series is supposed to be. I'm ready. Um, yeah. So Logan, closing thoughts on, from you here. About the story, um, I can't really add anything that you guys haven't. However, in the spirit of camaraderie, uh, I didn't notice, because I'm a follower of Funcom, that the Age of Conan MMO uh, event, uh, Trial of Blood, is ending is like ending this month, and they're going to have a new one. So I was playing with the idea, and I'm not an avid MMO player at all. I'm not even an avid video gamer. I'm not going to be on it every day, but if I had created a guild where some of our listeners wanted to join up and do some questing, um, I would be open to that and interested in doing that. Um, every once in a while, and if you are interested in doing that, uh, and you hear this podcast, uh, why don't you let uh, let us know on our Facebook page, and uh, we can get that set up. Which is great because now we have we have plugged a Conan product, and we also talked about monks. Yep, I think we've, <laughs> we've checked all the boxes. Checking all the boxes. They've <laughs> made it in, and well, I am satisfied now. All right, and on that note, I think that's a podcast. Uh, you guys can always uh, reach us basically at the Facebook page, page uh, Rogues in the House page, uh, is where we do mostly everything. Um, one thing that I'd love to say is that any and all likes, feedbacks, uh, comments, especially those on um, the on the iTunes side of things, are yeah. super duper helpful. It pumps up the podcast. Uh, helps us get more exposure, which means more listeners, which means more episodes, which means that you get to hear our lovely voices going and doing this and Matt's wonderful uh, voices that he does. So, yeah. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and actually, I would also say you can easily, uh, one of our watering holes as well is the Conan Gaming Group on Facebook. Uh, even if you're not a, a gamer, 
I like to think that it's a good stop for Howard and Sword and Sorcery in general, and all those posts are welcome. Um, so that's another place that we, we, we often haunt. So you can check yep. us out there, too. And we try and get up reviews and news and stuff as soon as we can, as soon as we see it. So if you like the stuff and want to be update, updated on it, that's where to find it. Right. Well, this is the Grey Mouse of signing off. <laughs> and as they say here, may your swords always remain sharp. Let's go on a quest.